We have a very special edition of Read This Book, which is basically librarians and curators and archivists talking about their favorite books to give as gifts. Oh, who's here to talk about books Hi. today? <laughs> I'm Megan Coker, curator of the Doris Kirshner Cookbook Collection. <laughs> Not my favorite collection in the whole <laughs> library. Yes, Mine too. you were saying the Doris Kirshner Collection? Yes, on the St. Paul campus, and I have two books for you. So, okay, the first one is? <laughs> the first one. This will be a great gift. You should get it for everyone. Uh, uh, the Sioux know. Chef's Indigenous Kitchen. Huh. So it's by uh, local cookbook author Sean Sherman. He's actually a local chef, not a cookbook author, but now he is. Uh, and he wrote it with Beth Dooley, very well-known cookbook author in, uh -huh. in Minneapolis. And this is all based on... <laughs> so he has... A food oh. truck, and he's opening a new restaurant, and it's all serving indigenous native food. So he talks about in the intro, like his journey of discovering ah. uh, after getting into cooking and things, um, these types of food, and so his process oh. of learning about indigenous foods. Um, um, I, I now have to look something up, but maybe okay. you can tell me. Um, at the farmer's market in St. Paul, I got a mixture of wild rice and some grains for a porridge mm -hmm. that I've never been able to find again. Would something like that be in this cookbook? Quite possibly. There's, uh -huh. I want to try out, he has a wild rice cakes and corn cakes, and those seem like really great bases mm. for a whole lot of things. There are a lot of really Okay, so this is recipes. University of Minnesota Press, mm -hmm. and available at any bookstore near you. Yes. What else you got? My second thing. Something a little different. I have a prop. Prop. This is some slime. Do you want to hold it? I do. Slime. Slime. I love slime. Do you know that's the coolest, hippest thing now? It is, and you can make some. This uh, I, I brought. Love that book. I know that book. Yes, it's not brand new. It's a fa yeah. I'm I'm verging into your territory, but this is something I do in the kitchen. Kitchen science lab for kids. Also a local author. She's from Minnesota, Liz Lee Heineke. Uh-huh. Um, and you may have seen her doing science demonstrations on TV and mm -hmm. stuff, but this is a whole book of science experiments that you this can do gross. with kids, mostly with stuff you have in your kitchen. I love this stuff. Um, so I have a four-year-old scientist oh. in my house, and we do these experiments every weekend. You know what would be the perfect Super present? Fun. This book and the ingredients. Yes. So you put the book and the ingredients in a basket, and it's the perfect, especially, you know, I like to give gifts to families who kids I don't know. Mm. And this is great for a family gift, so if you have a four-year-old and a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. They can all do it. And thank you so much for sharing today. I am Alicia Kubis. I am the government publications librarian. Who knew? <laughs> I manage um, our federal collections, so we get um, documents from the federal government, from all agencies of the government, and we have a very historical collection. Today, we're talking about books you like to give as gifts. Yes, and so this has nothing to do with government mm -hmm. documents at all, um, but this is a beautiful book. Um, so this is Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, which I'm sure most people have heard of. But what makes this book so special is the beautiful illustrations in here. Um, absolutely gorgeous. So even if you aren't super into literature, if you're into art, I mean, it's just Ooh. the neatest book. Um, just absolutely beautiful. So yeah. 
Um, wow. And so I actually, we, we read Alice in Wonderland at a book club over the summer, and one of the other book clubbers had this copy, and I said, that is the coolest copy I've ever seen of Alice in Wonderland, and it's one of my favorite books. And so I'm hoping to receive this for Christmas, this for holidays this year, because um, it's very beautiful. Whose copy is that? This is from our library here, from Wilson Library. Oh. So I will be returning this later today, and if you want to check it out and look at it, you definitely can. Um, the the illustrator, she's from Japan. She actually has some art here at the Walker Art Center in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. So if you like this kind of art, there's others, other works mm -hmm. by her um, here that you can see if you would like. Um, but she's a very prolific Japanese artist, very well known in, in art circles. Yep. What else you got there? And this one's a, a little bit different. So it's called Poetry from Scratch. Um, <laughs> and it's a book of kitten verse and so it's by Jennifer McCartney and it's essentially a volume of poetry written by by cats um, with some help from the author right to actually transcribe how, this. How did you find this? <laughs> actually so <laughs> I was looking at a list of cat gifts that and I'm a big cat person <laughs> so I thought oh there might be something interesting on there I would like for you know the holidays and this was on there and so I went to Hennepin County Library to check this out because I had to see what it was and I thought everyone else needed to know about this book um, so what I love about it so I, I really like literature I'm really into literature and what I think is fun is there's a section of kind of classic poetry taking those you know very well-known poems from literature mm -hmm. and rewriting them from kind of a cat's point of view is the one you'd like to share with us sure so I'm sure most people know Robert Frost's poem, The Road Not Taken. Mm -hmm. And so the very first poem in here is called The Rodent Not Taken. Two rodents diverged in a yellow wood. I'm <laughs> sorry I could not pursue both. And being one feline, long I crouched and watched one scurry as far as I could to where it veered into the undergrowth. To know more. You gotta see the book. Poetry, <laughs> so that's the first stanza. <laughs> poetry from scratch. Yes. Well, thank you for bringing those mm -hmm. today, and I hope somebody gives you that Alice I know. for a gift. Well, and I, I would also take this one. Okay, um, good to know. So while I'm talking about books I would love to receive, for any cat lovers or literary lovers, these both would be really great. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. This is your holiday elf, Tim Johnson, curator, special collections and rare books, and the EW McDermott, curator of the Sherlock Holmes collection. And pushing and books and giving. Tim really knows what a great book is for a gift. So I want you to talk about your stack. I got my stack, and it's all Holmes all the time. And when isn't it? You know, I might, might sometimes throw in something else. Mm -hmm. um, but, all right, top of the pile. Um, Sherlock Holmes and the Eisendorf Enigma, Larry Millette. I know his name. How do I know his now, name? Now, a lot of people know Larry from the Lost Twin Cities. Um, mm -hmm. Before he got into Sherlock Holmes, he was writing a lot about architecture in the St. Paul Pioneer Press. Right. And he did the, a book, the, Modern. the Lost Twin Cities, about all these buildings that disappeared during urban renewal. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, buildings that were beautifully designed and had this kind of craftsmanship inside. And they did a follow-up documentary, and I think 
there's been another Lost Cities, Lost Twin Cities 2, and he's had a number of other books. Mm -hmm. Mid-Century mid Modern, I think, is his newest architectural That's book. That's the one I gave for the holidays yeah. last year, I yeah. guess. Yeah. yeah. But he has also written, I think, seven or eight now. So Larry's done Sherlock Holmes and the Red Demon, Sherlock mm -hmm. Holmes and the Ice Palace Murders, Sherlock Holmes and the Runestone Mystery, Sherlock Holmes and the Secret Alliance, The Disappearance of Sherlock Holmes, The Magic Bullet, and Strongwood, a crime dossier. So this is the latest, Sherlock Holmes and the Isendorf Enigma. And this one takes place pretty much in and around Rochester. Rochester, so it's not, New York? No, Rochester, Minnesota. Oh. Which means it brings in the Mayo Brothers and the Mayo oh. Clinic and this little town outside Who's, Whose book Eisendorf. is that actually? This is the library's copy. So close to grabbing this that book. This is the library. As, okay. as are all of these. Bonnie McBird oh, yeah. on Quiet Spirits. And Bonnie's been a guest of ours here, mm -hmm. too. This one takes place primarily in uh, Scotland, the Highlands, mm -hmm. where they know how to to make a weed dram. Ah. My, my Scottish accent There's is There's a subtitle, so uh, that's what you're talking about. It is. Whiskey, Ghosts, Murder, a Sherlock Holmes uh, adventure. It also takes place in the south of France mm -hmm. um, uh, with one of Sherlock Holmes' rivals. Um, but it's it's the part, I think, that's happening in Scotland that is it's mysterious. And there, yeah, there are ghosts. There is a big mansion. Uh, there is a distillery. There's all kinds of interesting things. Um, Bonnie's out on tour right now. And don't you have this a video with out. her, an interview? Um, yeah, I think we did. Uh, did yeah, an so if, if somebody Googled your name and Bonnie's Bonnie name, McBird, yep. I think you'll be able to hear right. Tim interviewing her. So that's my number two Sherlock recommendation. Okay, if I was going to just pick one, can you pick amongst oh, your babies? Uh, I'd probably uh, say do the third. Okay, tell me what this one's about. This one is jaw-dropping. And mm -hmm. we, we've talked about this before on Read This Book, but I had to bring it back mm -hmm. because Matthias Bostrom, a Swedish author and publisher, has done a phenomenal piece of work here. Um, From Holmes to Sherlock is the entire arc of uh, this iconic figure from... His appearance in 1887 with Study in Scarlet up to present day uh, reincarnations in elementary and mm -hmm. BBC Sherlock, uh, but also the huge fandom that mm -hmm. has developed uh, and is creating amazing work in an online environment. Um, it's, it's a long, you know, 500-ish pages or so, but the chapters are short little episodic look I gotta tell you I thought it was an easy read it, is, it was yeah. a page turner it, for it me is. and even though I my office is right next door to the Sherlock Holmes collection and I thought I knew a lot yeah. I discovered an enormous amount including that there were very popular radio plays mm -hmm. yep and we have scripts we have scripts many of those and recordings plays. right yes, we do yeah um, done by Edith Miser Mm -hmm. um, we have the 16-inch transcription discs that she mm -hmm. had made at the time it was performed as now, proof to the advertisers that 
their product had been advertised on the radio. Just Excellent. Like that. Well, yeah. thank you for coming today. Thank you for having me. Who just sat down in this seat? <laughs> I'm Kate Huida, and I'm the Assistant Curator for Performing Arts and Literary Archives here at the University Libraries. You're holding books. I have books. I have great books. You have great books. Show me the one on the top. All right. So, um, two great books for the holiday season. Uh, this one is A Year in the Wilderness, uh, Bearing Witness in the Boundary Waters, which is written by Amy and Dave Freeman, a husband and wife team who are environmental advocates. I heard about this book. Professional adventurers. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. So basically, um, they spent a year in the Boundary Waters just living in the now, wilderness. Now, for those of us who are not from here, the <laughs> here's the state of Minnesota. I'm assuming the Boundary Waters are north. Very north. And it's water, a lot of water. Wilderness, pristine, um, has been protected, but mm -hmm. a couple years ago there was a threat to um, some copper, copper sulfide mining in oh. the area, which would have potentially damaged this beautiful, mm -hmm. pristine wilderness. So Amy and Dave, they basically, um, their mission was to spend a year documenting ah. life in the Boundary Waters to... Um, milkweed editions. Milkweed editions, you can... So you may notice it is beautifully illustrated. Yeah. So are all go. photos from their, their year, and it's divided by season. So um, what it was like living in the wild, winter, spring, summer, fall. And how did they cross the Boundary Waters? They had dogs. <laughs> there you go. I saw that picture. That's how I knew. That was a setup. So this is a fascinating adventure for people to read, even if they're not from around here, if you're right. interested in the environment. Environment. Natural history. Living off the land. Photography. Wow. Look at that. Those it's are the beautiful. doggies. And in your lap? In my lap, another great book that came out a couple months ago. Uh, Complicated Fun by Sin Collins, who is a local DJ, music historian, Wonder Woman. Um, and it's uh, basically an oral history of punk rock in the Twin Cities from 1974 to 1984. OK. I don't know anything about punk rock in the Twin Cities. What would be a band that would be a punk rock band? Yeah, so um, Husker Du and The Replacements are two bands that most people know. Oh, yeah. Um, but a lot of other local bands um, are documented in here, too. And uh, the cool thing about this book, or that I really like, mm -hmm. is that um, it's not just like a straightforward history. Um, Sin Collins, the author, she collects stories from different people who are around during the time, some who were uh, record salesmen, who were performers, oh. artists themselves, and so it's like an oral history. And um, there are even quotes from our very own communications director, Mark Engelbretson, in this book. So Why would he be quoted in that book? Oh, he sings, sings. Sings oh. in bands. He's in a band. What's the name of his band? One of the bands he's sung in is Go Van Go, which like Van Go, yeah, yeah I feel it's funny. awesome, clever. Yeah. But a lot of other great stories in here too, um, and I think it's really cool because um, Sin Collins, she kind of like it's from '74 to '84, which might seem like kind of random dates, mm -hmm. but she sort of charts the history of punk from uh, performance of the New York Dolls at the State Fair in 1974 to basically Purple Rain wow. in 1984. So there's a kind of bookends there. Well, thank you. And this is the perfect book for the music lover in your life, someone yes. who is from the Twin Cities, the Twin someone Cities. who maybe is a transplant, transplant somewhere else and All wants to remember the good old days. All the secret punks in your life. And yes. we, I just have to, shameless plug, this is really cool. This book mm -hmm. right here, this copy, was given to 
the Performing Arts Archive, uh, so the Minnesota Underground Music Collection that we have, by oh. Sim Collins. So our copy is signed. So wait, now <laughs> you have to tell me about the Minnesota Underground Music Collection. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's a collection for um, music recordings and posters and ticket stubs and uh, set lists and flyers and all the sort of trappings that have come out of the punk music scene from like the 50s mm -hmm. to um, you know to the present and we're still actively collecting so so it's the underground out there who have some of the stuff oh should yeah. get in touch with me so that's how we get stuff is we beg for <laughs> it <laughs> so if you're moving or you want to clean out the kids room put it in a box give us a call send an email and we'll come take a look at it and see if it fits in with our scope of the collection. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you. My name is Carolyn Bischoff. Uh, I work at the Science and Engineering Library here in the, um, at the University of Minnesota. And I'm the librarian for physics, astronomy, and earth sciences. So in your lap, there is in a book. Lap, there is a book. Um, and it's from our collection, so it doesn't have its dust jacket. I can't show you anything fun on the front. Mm. Um, but I will open it up to the title page. Um, so I brought um, a book huh. that I think would be nice for um, people who are interested in military history. Um, we had cookbooks and we've had, you know, these wonderful Harry Potter uh -huh. books and I thought, you know what, let's talk about DARPA. You know, uh, let's see, let me see if I <laughs> know what DARPA stands for. Department. You're hey. already wrong. But keep going. Keep, keep going. DARPA. I got D. I know it's military. Mm -hmm. I know no it has, DARPA. I know that it, that it has to do with the internet. That is true that there would be no internet if there was no DARPA. ARPANET is the precursor to the internet. Okay, you have to tell me what you're talking about. All right, so DARPA stands for Defense Advanced Research Projects ah. Agency. So it used to be called ARPA, Advanced mm -hmm. Research Projects Agency, and they uh, put a D on, I believe, in the 70s, um, the defense part Defense. Defense. Mm -hmm. so, um, so this book is called, I keep holding up, I'm sorry, I keep holding up yeah. this boring gray book. This is called The Imagineers of War. Uh, the Untold History of DARPA, the Pentagon Agency that Changed the World. It's by Sharon Weinberger. She's a journalist. Um, she writes on issues of military, uh, security, um, that kind of thing. Um, so she has quite a number of books. Um, and I picked this one for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, it just came out this year. Mm -hmm. um, and it seemed kind of timely because of the... Um, did you watch the PBS uh, docu series Vietnam mm -hmm. catch any of that um, so the history of DARPA um, is really there's a there's a large section of this book that focuses on um, what happened in Vietnam and ARPA's role at the time ARPA's role in that um, so I thought that if there was somebody in your family who got really into that documentary um, you know, every time you texted them in the evening, they're like, hey, I can't Dad, talk. I can't talk. I'm watching Vietnam. Mm -hmm. This book might be interesting to them. I will mm -hmm. say it's a dense book. Um, it mm -hmm. is dense. It is accessible, though. Um, there's a lot of people in it. The, the history of government agencies and any kind of government, any, any nonfiction book about government that I've read, the narrative is never simple. And but also, and if you're interested in the history of technology in the United States yes. and why we have what we have or what we do what we do, mm -hmm it would be found in this book. I think so. I mean, especially, and I think it's um, the, I like that this book kind of takes a critical eye and also looks at sort of the, the, the whole trajectory of the agency up until mm -hmm. now. Um, so, uh, 
you know, it started as a space agency. I did not know that. Um, uh-huh. You know, I think uh, what I knew about it was, you know, there was the, it's created the internet and they make weapons. And that's pretty much it. But it started uh-huh. as a space agency actually before NASA uh-huh. took over space operations. Um, it was it was started kind of right after in, in the in the space race mm-hmm. when Sputnik was launched. So um, the other really interesting mm-hmm. thing, and the reason I brought this book in in particular, um, among other interesting kind of science engineering books that were um, published this year, mm-hmm. is that some of the interviews with DARPA officials came from our very own Charles Babbage Institute. Oh. Um, so the yeah, so the, the so a lot of the research came out of the University of Minnesota. There was some. There's quite a bit of mm-hmm. research in here. There's in, or, original interviews with DARPA uh, officials. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that um, the author said that uh, is true of a lot of histories, of course, is that the history of DARPA is dying off. Um, people are passing away. Um, well, here's my question. Yeah. When I think of DARPA, really, when I think about DARPA, I think isn't that stuff I'm not supposed to know? Right. <laughs> Isn't that very classified? Yeah. So how does how did this researcher how was she able to access this information? How did she get permissions to just let everybody know? Well, um, so there is quite a number of things that have been declassified over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, there's a lot of stuff that that no one will know about mm-hmm. for many many years. Um, mm-hmm. But. Uh, uh, the author did a lot of interviews with people, um, mm-hmm. took advantage of recently declassified documents, uh-huh. um, and really put together kind of this tapestry of information from archives all over the place. Um, if you look through her interviews, uh, you know they came from archives all mm-hmm. over the country, um, including including our own. And um, uh, you know, I think it was just like the right time to do. Mm-hmm. This history, so uh, and I think she also <laughs> she she described the the Kafka esque world of uh, government documents requests. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, See you again.